You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, this is John Spirisavet and Rebecca Rosenthal. Hey, Rebecca. Hi, John. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? Nice to nice to be back. And I appreciate that you assigned me the first episode, The Brainy Bunch, even though I only signed up for the second one, Snowplow, because <laughs> I've forgotten how hilarious that episode is. <laughs> it is so hilarious. As as we'll say, I I thought that thematically from the from the purposes of this podcast, the two episodes kind of go together. I've done that little slide, you know, once before last season, early last season. But hopefully that'll work for the listeners too. Rebecca, you want to say anything? It's been a little while since you just introduced where you work. Do you want to say any word about where you are and what you do? Sure. I'm the director of youth and family education at Central Synagogue in New York City. So I work with kids and their families and teens and early childhood and all different ages. And the most important question is, since the beginning of our season two discussions, who now do you think you are most like of the characters on The Good Place? Didn't I just have to do this on the end of season two episode? No, we reviewed what you had said, but we... We didn't give you a chance to revise your, if you want to revise your Michaelness to anything else. I think I'm, I don't think I've really changed that much over the course of this podcast. I think I'm probably still Michael with a little dash of Eleanor and Chidi thrown in there. Um, all rabbis are Chidi's, whether they want to admit it or not. That's true. And then any, were they ones you want to have a little more of? Is that who you're you're striving for? Or where are you going to well, put yourself? Well, I think the nice thing about Eleanor is she just has such incredible leadership skills. She really brings the group together. She has a way of getting people to uh, do what she wants them to for better or for worse. And she really is the glue that holds the group together, as Michael argues in the episode that we're talking about. (laughs) And wouldn't we all want to be that, the glue that holds everybody together? Although I think they talk about really, and and Michael's always talking about how it's the Eleanor Chidi relationship that somehow is the glue that holds ultimately, I guess, the universe maybe together. I don't know. I think that may be true. I, you know, far be it for me to argue with Michael, but I think Eleanor is really the person who holds the group together. Without Eleanor, the group, I think, would not be able to function. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, I, I am not a TV critic per se. Certainly, I'm not a TV critic, nor do I play a TV critic on TV. But I think if you look at kind of who's essential, if you had to pin one person down as being essential to the show, I think it's got to be Eleanor slash Kristen Bell. Well, you see that moment when she reaches into the cake and pulls herself out of the group, how consequential that moment really is. When she says, okay, I'm out, that's kind of the moment that you you fear that everything has splintered apart. Mm. You know, I saw something totally different in that moment. Your your take, obviously, being the the correct and also deeper one. I saw a, a callback, sort of by free association, to to Maya Rudolph and the movie Bridesmaids, where there's the scene where who is it? It's Kristen Wiig who who ruins kind of the big chocolate cookie at the at the big fancy party. So it's people named Kristen. 
who really oh yes you're right Kristen there you together. go oh that must be what's going on with the writers so 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 anyway back to our TV episodes uh, we are going to talk about these two and hopefully we're going to also do some of our earning good place points for ourselves together by by picking up in this season and doing a better job of naming the people who actually make this great thing so if you want to tell us we're going to give us the summaries of both episodes including their writers and directors okay so chapter 29 the brainy bunch written by dan schofield and directed by jude wing i hope i pronounced both of those names correctly (laughs) trevor tries to sabotage the group eleanor is suspicious of him and also disappointed that her one-on-one learning with chidi is supplanted by the group sessions Trevor gets them all to go to an American-style restaurant called Cowboy Skyscraper Cafe, where he suggests to Chidi that his friendship with the humans threatens the validity of the study and tries to get everyone drunk so Jason and Tahani will hook up. Michael and Janet try to counter Trevor without Janet's special powers to summon things. Eleanor considers quitting the group until Simone encourages Chidi to go and talk with her. Chidi asks Eleanor as a friend to stay for three months, and she agrees. The judge sends the doorman to summon Michael, Janet, and Trevor. She hurls Trevor into a void and tells Michael and Janet to go back to the bad place. But Janet's items that she's tried to summon without her powers begin to appear and pile up all at once. And she and Michael escape back to Earth with the help of the doorman. Should I read the second one now? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So chapter 30, The Snowplow, written by Joe Mandy, directed by Beth McCarthy Miller. Michael and Janet spy on the humans from an unused office in the journalism department and engage in a few more nudges to ensure that they stay together. They give Eleanor an $1,800 winning lottery ticket so she won't take time away for a job, reconnect to Hani with her Australian ex-boyfriend Larry Hemsworth, help Jason meet local Jaguars fans, and provide Chidi with state-of-the-art teaching equipment. Tahani decides to move to London with her now fiancé Larry. Chidi concludes that the group should disband so he can rerun the study with new participants. At the farewell po- party to Hani throws, Eleanor suggests the group stay together. But when the others are not receptive, she storms out. Simone advises Eleanor that she is re- reacting to the loss of the first group with which she has ever identified. Eleanor apologizes and the four agree to reunite annually. Michael is worried they will never earn their way to the- into the good place. He finally convinces Janet that they should sneak back and reset the timeline. But the humans discover them opening the portal. Hmm. So you are right. Hilarious stuff. What what really grabbed you this time? I mean, the manifest destiny package at yes. the restaurant. Yes. You know, I, my husband is an American history professor, so I think you know I get marriage <laughs> demerits if I don't mention that. But it's just so funny. And then you know the gun going off when your table is ready, and Chidi's saying, you know, I think this is real. The Florida table, sorry, Florida. That that whole thing is just like completely, completely hilarious. Janet with her knowledge not updating, and she suggests kicking Trevor with her. <laughs> with her soft feet and then she says earth sucks right she's just she's on top of her game in this in this episode when eleanor is talking to chidi and she offers him hot tea or regular temperature xanax and then she gives him root beer heated up in the microwave that that i i was like it's it's not that often that i laugh out loud at tv especially tv i've already seen Mm. but that was but that was great and then when the judge is talking about all of the things that changed on earth because of what Michael and Janet do. And she talks about Brexit and the Jaguars being good and the greatest showman making 400 million. (laughs) And then Janet says she's like a printer 
where everything leads to the yes. kids Prince Alphonse. <laughs> that happens at my office all the time. You're like, here's my document, and then it's behind seven thousand pages. So there were just like, so, I mean, Tahani and the pure gold bra and the MRI machine. I mean, there were so many moments that were really funny that I just also anytime Adam Scott shows up, you just think it's going to be like really good and funny. You know, I don't have this history, as I've said before, on the podcast with Adam Scott and watching, I guess that's what, Parks and Rec? Is that what he's saying? You know, we've already discussed how you need to watch that. Yeah, but... I guess I do, because I, I need to develop an appreciation, which would maybe deepen my being less, like, cringy about his his character because of the buttons he, he pushes. But I can see how he's awesome. And yeah, the it was so intense in the uh, cafe there, the buffet. And yeah, the Mount Rushmore, I think it was David Hasselhoff, Paris Hilton, I think. Yeah, I think Paris that's right. Hilton's Judge Judy and Hulk Hogan. I think that's very awesome. And there, uh, the 4th of July thing, half an apple pie <laughs> blended with Southern Comfort and Coca-Cola <laughs> served oh, yeah. in a Chevy hubcap. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was that was pretty funny. When Jason tries to turn into Spider-Man by going in the MRI machine while holding yeah. a spider. Yeah. That was great. That was great. This, this episode felt like they were like, you know what? We're just gonna put all the jokes in one episode. As as you and I have said, this doesn't really change the movement of the plot very much, this particular episode. Right. So much time passes and they're kind of still in the same place participating in the study, but it's really, really funny. It's it is great that they managed somehow as being American writers to make fun of both America and Australia kind of at the same time, which is cool. And these folks who live in, I assume, Los Angeles, which is like gaudy, you know, like pseudo America to the max, you know, Disney World is really notice cool. that they're not making fun of the Los Angeles table, only the Florida table. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I love as you say, Janet, really considering I was thinking about how, you know, she's not in her Janet powers at all. Like she doesn't have that at all in in the episode till the very end, the printer cue, and she can do all these great things with her with with what she does have. I like like you were saying when she's taking their order. I and she tries to summon their their beers. I will physically pick them up and walk them back here with my feet. <laughs> she's as I think I say this every time I go on this podcast, but she's such an incredible actress. Oh my gosh, she is. The other thing that really struck me in terms of what you can do on Netflix with freeze framing is I was looking at the pileup of things that were in her printer queue and and one of them is an actual diner called Ugly Nick's Meat Trench. And I'm thinking, what is that? So I, I looked that up. And I guess, so it was a callback to to a place that Jason, in Jacksonville, I guess, that Jason mentioned back in Chapter 10. And Stupid Nick's closed down because a pelican fell in the flash fryer. But he opened up a new place called Ugly Nick's Meat Trench. And so they hid in this like teeny moment, this callback to like tell us how much Janet is still so into Jason, which is which is cool. Well, I I think this was actually in the second episode in Snowplow, but I was struck actually by her sort of admitting that she has feelings for Jason and and what and the pain of watching of trying to set him up with Tahani and or set him up with other people, right? And and watching him potentially go and and be in a relationship with Tahani, which never actually happens. And that also sent me down a whole path of like fate versus free will, right? Because mm. they end up kind of every time in the same kinds of relationships. They don't really end up in new relationships with each other necessarily. 
Yeah, and it seems like in this phase, Janet is more in the imagining Jason with the the jean shorts with the pockets coming out of the bottom. Yeah, so he, so he can study better. <laughs> he can study better. <laughs> and later on, it gets into the her, her bigger emotional angst, I guess, over over seeing him. With, of course, as Jews, we have to point out the eighteen thousand dollar winning lottery ticket. Eighteen being a significant number, represented in Hebrew with the letters Chet and Yud, which carry the numbers eight and 10. And it's the word for life. So 18 is always a big deal. I cannot believe that was accidental. No, I don't believe that. But you never know. Maybe they just really love the number 18. It could be for some of So if anybody has another cultural reason why somebody would like the number 18, you should definitely send it to us. I love Tahani's reaction to the... <laughs> I can tell from context that that is a lot of money. <laughs> and I mean... Airbnb, H-E-I-R-B-N-B, where they swap mansions and yes. yachts and ski chalets. That was great. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about that before. I don't know. It is really funny. I noticed in the second episode where they're, they're having a discussion where, oh, what's happening is that Chidi has that cool, like, smart screen thing, which has both the lesson and also features like local news and an assignment. So he has, in the local news, one of them is the koala exhibit overrun by extra koalas who won't leave, which I thought was funny. And and the other thing, which they don't do anything with, is they have an assignment, discuss Jason's thesis that red starbursts represent... John Rawls and Green Starburst represent Tim Scanlon. These are two philosophers who get who get name checked at different points, and they just they just kind of leave that there as a an Easter egg and Afi Komen for somebody, I guess for for me. That was I appreciated that. It was funny when Chidi was in his like sleep deprived after his anxiety over did he ruin the study by being friends where he ta- where he heads over to where where Eleanor is staying and he says like I, I I walked by the front desk and I ended up with this and he has some sort of wrench like he's gonna fix something <laughs> where did that come from yeah yes. where did that come from I mean Chidi having kind of a breakdown is a great Chidi absolutely his biggest breakdown still to come but this one's pretty funny <laughs> so you want to jump in and bring us anywhere sure so I guess for the first episode about the Brainy Bunch, right, it's so much about Eleanor wants to have these one-on-one experience with Chidi, and yet there's a group that needs to be thought about. And that's actually, for me, how these two episodes fit together, which is the yeah. individual needs versus the communal needs. And my kids' school, every year they have a theme, which is usually like a little piece of, of Torah. And so... I don't know if it was last year or the year before they did from Kohelet, a threefold cord is not easily broken. This idea that if you're just a string hanging out by yourself, it's easy that you would get broken or cut or snapped. But if if you're braided together with other people, that you will have strength in numbers. And this idea that Eleanor really does need someone other than herself, that either even if she's strong and clever and able to figure things out that other people aren't able to figure out she actually does need the group and when she finally figures that out in the snowplow episode and it's possible that the group is responding that they don't need her as much as she needs them that's the moment where she digs into the cake and says fine i'm going to take myself out of this group but even that is really showing us how much she needs them and in especially Michael and Janet embody this, I think, because their entire goal is to get the group together, that they feel like 
This will not be accomplished individually. It will only be accomplished if the group is together, right? When at the end of, of the snowplow episode where they're all going their separate ways and Janet says like, well, maybe we should just let them kind of try to figure it out and get to the good place the normal way. And Michael basically said like, there's no chance that mm. they're going to get to the good place the normal way. They have to actually get there together, relying on each other, using each other as motivation for improvement. And I think that's really a theme that we have in in Judaism, this idea that we need we need each other and we need the community. And actually, I was just on a webinar earlier today with Rabbi Donya Ruttenberg talking about her new book, which is about repentance. And one of the things that she talked about is sort of the public accountability that you need for repentance. And you really do need a community if you're trying to change and to sort of say to people like, I'm trying to get better, or I'm working on this part of myself so that among other reasons, the community will hold you accountable and you'll be stronger because you have those people. Yeah, and I really appreciate the quote that you brought and it's from Ecclesiastes is the English name of Kohelet. Yes. And I think that it also made me realize how important it was three is more than two because we already have this idea of Eleanor and Chidi but this idea that that she needs more than just him and that there's somehow this quantity that's necessary because I think that's the other thing that's playing in this episode because she she sort of has gotten to the point where she wants him and that's more important than the group when that breaks down she has this sense of loss Last week, I had my own personal ninja master. Now I'm taking Tai Chi with a bunch of farting housewives. <laughs> and I, I like what you said about accountability to a larger group. And I will say, as I was thinking ahead about this, that I, I wasn't coming up with a great Jewish teaching, you know, the way that you did. And I think this is a way in which I feel like The Good Place has done a better job than a lot of our Jewish sources do in trying to explain how the group works. Like, it's one thing to say that, that community can do something that individuals can't, but that's very collective. But the, the role that that individual plays within that, like the specific role within a group, you know, which is different from saying I have an individual destiny, I'm supposed to do these things in the world. And by saying I'm supposed to do these things and become who I am in the context of this specific set of people, the good place I think really does a good job of that. Everybody teaches something to somebody else. And I love that. Uh, I love that improvement. The only thing I would have wished for more in these episodes was to actually see where they do this three months later, six months later thing. Like I wish they had rerun the lessons from season one with them in this state because now we in retrospect we know that season one was kind of a they were exploring these issues of motivation and promises and how to be measured and they were doing that in a in a scheme that was not set up for them and now they're doing it in a scheme that's set up for them and i i kind of wish they had in, in a sense repeated that so we could see you know because we're being told and reminded that they need each other but we don't actually see in these episodes exactly how they do that we just sort of assumed along the way yeah, I, I think that's right. It would it would be interesting to see a little bit more of their conversation. Maybe not for like most people who watch TV, but definitely for rabbis who are interested or philosophers. <laughs> I understand it's a limited audience. Philosophy TV. <laughs> well, um, it is philosophy TV. They might as well. <laughs> they might as well but, do it. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to to see the evolution play out. Maybe rather than kind of take their word for it. But I think the rest of the series is really the payoff of this episode of, of episode 29, which is we're showing you what they learn and then they're going to put it into, we're, we're not really showing you what they learn, but we're going to see it in action as they go through and live out their lives or 
whatever they i don't even know if, can we say it's their lives is it their lives I don't, are they alive are they dead in jeremy bear me time exactly <laughs> i do think that they they do get a bit of it certainly eleanor who's in the middle there because we see her struggling with the nature of her relationship with Chidi, but also different people come into her. Like Chidi comes to her and says, as a friend, I'm asking you to do this specific thing for me. Just give me three months. As opposed to Simone, who comes to her and basically like sort of start, isn't afraid to tell her off, you know, did you come to scold me about the metric system <laughs> when she's out there outside the party? And I don't really, I don't really specialize in temper tantrums. You know, you need either a child psych- psychologist or a binky. But then she confronts her with this, with the great, the great speech about what humans need, me versus us, and then us versus them. And she's more, uh, I, I, I want to say, confrontation, willing to push the envelope. And this is an example of that Eleanor does not just need one teacher or one companion in this. She needs, she needs a couple at least. And I think Simone plays an interesting role because she's outside the group. And so she can maybe tell truths in a different way than someone who's so deeply enmeshed in the group that Chidi's never going to tell Eleanor off. It's not his personality. Jason is on another planet, so he's not going to do it. (laughs) And Tahani, I think, wouldn't be able to deliver the message in the same with the same effectiveness. And I also don't think she's not fully evolved along this scale about individuals versus the group either. And so I think the only person who could really give the message in a way Eleanor could hear was someone from the outside to say sort of, I've been watching Uh, you. Oh, that's interesting. Because I guess I've been, I've been thinking about Simone as at this moment, sort of in the group, although we're going to see her play this in out role, I guess, really through the rest of the series. Yeah, she's not really in the group. I don't think. They need her for some things, but they don't need her to accomplish the ultimate goal of the series, right? Which is to get to the good place. Yeah, yeah. I guess in the in the way Chidi is in the same situation of having a different influences who are helping him specifically. No, nobody remarked on the fact that in the in the first episode when he's standing in front of the the group without Eleanor, um, he's got this blackboard. It's going to be the history of philosophy, and it's did you yeah. Palto instead of Plato, P A L T, and they didn't they didn't make a huge they didn't make any deal of it like Professor Anagonia, you have misspelled the word you've misspelled Plato's name how have you who 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 died and left Aristotle in charge of moral philosophy Plato you know that. and so he does get he does get that and I guess he has in this case he has Michael who's you know, trying to, in his way, in his very indirect way, also try to uh, coach him and nudge him. And then he's got Simone who's like, yeah, go and talk to, go and talk to her. And it enables him to say his thing about how, like, I've been plagued by, what is it, tortured by indecision, living in a torture chamber of indecision or something like that. And, and he's had both of these things kind of get him there. Well, the name of the episode, right, Snowplow, reveals a lot, too, that this is actually one of the things that people criticize parents for doing that first there was helicopter parents where parents mm. hover over their children, but now they're snowplow parents where people clear every obstacle in the way of their children so that their children never have to suffer and never have to, you know, be let down and all the ways in that, which that's a terrible lesson to teach your children that, you know, never in life will they face obstacles. And if your child gets to age, these are the parents who call the professor to complain about their children's grade when their kids are in college. And that if your child never faces any adversity, they won't have any resilience or grit or really know how to 
live in the world. And so you know, Michael is doing something slightly different than that. He's enabling his vision of what the characters need, which is to stay and learn moral philosophy with Chidi. So he's clearing the obstacles that prevent them from, from doing that, which is a noble goal. But I guess the in, a, in an alternative version of reality, right? What does it look like if Eleanor's able to work in the world and learn moral philosophy? Could she learn faster if she could apply the lessons of her that she was learning to a job, right? What would it look like for Jason to have to go and find a community of like-minded people rather than have one presented in front of him? Hmm. Is that actually a phrase that people use now? Snowplow parents? Really? Snowplow parenting. Wow. Do you know when this came into vogue? I think it's relatively recent. Well, everything is everything happens first in New York City, I guess, and it'll come. Yeah, we'll hear it's, about it soon in New Hampshire. I guarantee you, it was happening in L.A. I don't know if it was <laughs> happening when they wrote this episode, but it was definitely happening. You know, I think well, it's they don't have snow in L.A. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I I'm noticing that Eleanor talks about, you know, her her own sense of where she's gotten to. She has no sense of where she's gotten to because at the end of the the first episode, she talks about how. It's a bit of an interesting head fake. She starts about how she prefers it one and one. We already, or one on one, we already know that she prefers to just deal with Chidi and not the rest of the group. And then she's saying, both looking at our phones and and texting, and I don't know the other person, which is which is not where she is. Or the whole thing could have been said in a text that I pretend I never saw, and which is not a very accurate. Like she's, if she hasn't gotten the whole way, she feels like she's gotten nowhere. And I think at the end of the the second one, when when caterer Michael comes, she says, now I have to start over from scratch again. So she's having a hard time. It really takes these particular other people to tell her that that she's actually made some progress and she she could stay, stay the course. So she's actually had a few, which is why I like your example of three, like it has to be, it has to be more than one to help you out and get you the thing you need. So should we look at a text that I thought for this one? Sure. So this one is, I think, a very famous text. It comes from the Talmud in the Tractate of Sanhedrin. And it says that whoever saves a life is, they have saved a world. And whoever destroys one life, it's as though they destroyed a world. And when Mike, what made me think of it is Michael, Janet says to Michael, the judge is going to be so angry. And Michael says, saving their soul right saving these souls is much more important than an angry judge and mm. and he really i think understands his mission as saving well not their lives because they're dead but saving <laughs> saving their souls in some in some fashion but then the second half of this text that i think people don't always bring is this idea that god when a when a human being makes a coin every coin comes out the same and when God makes human beings, even though we're all made from the same mold, we all come out differently, right? We're all made in the image of God, but we all have this uniqueness. And um, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg talks about this text is that being one, that every human being is created in the image of God, right? All, all, All of our life has infinite worth and infinite value, but we are also all unique. And so we have infinite value because if you destroy my life, you destroy a whole world. We have equality because we were all created in the same way. And we have uniqueness because of the way that God that God creates us. And I think in some ways that's such a beautiful way to think about where the human where the humans are going in this in this in this show, which is 
they have to come to a place where they actually do appreciate, first of all, like the value of their lives, which is, I guess, maybe a little bit easier to appreciate when you're dead. And (laughs) you're looking back and you're like, oh, God, but they also have to both appreciate that all human beings are equal, right? That's this comes later but i think we're allowed to do spoilers in this podcast right this this idea that everybody should have an equal shot at the good place that the point system should be fair but also that every person is unique and that there are circumstances that surround everybody's ability to get to the good place or not that are that are unique and should be and should be taken into account and i think that's also part of what chidi is trying to to help them learn is how do you balance all of those all of those different pieces. And that's what that when when Michael said that about sort of their lives are are so precious, and I have to save them. That's what came up for me. As you're teaching that I'm thinking that even though Michael has said that the relationship and the connection between Eleanor and Chidi is kind of essential to the whole thing, he still values all four of them. And which I think, you know, you could easily say, Week. And we've seen this in, you know, last season where there are opportunities for them to, you know, somebody to throw somebody else under the bus in order to, to get in. <clears throat> and so that I really like. And actually now, and it also throws into focus, I think, Eleanor's speech there at the, at the party, at Tahani's party, where I think she talks about these, I, I want to talk to these people on the cake, these four extraordinary people. And then she says, well, Tahani and Chidi are are awesome. I forget her exact language. Jason and I are straight trash. But she, as to your point of needing to value their own lives, but that she has come somehow to realize that that even so, all four of them are, are on that same level of, of infinite value. And I think you can look at what Michael and Janet do in this episode as sort of valuing the uniqueness of each of them, right? Eleanor needs money so she can stay in Australia. So they find a way to get her what she needs. It's not just everybody gets the same thing. I'm sure they all would have been very happy to get some money. <laughs> they probably would have been all less happy to be in a Jaguars fan club, right? But what Tahani needs is love and companionship. And what Jason needs is friends and to be able to root for the Jaguars. And what she needs is his like special teaching excitement or whatever it is that he gets. And so there is some thought, I think, by Michael and Janet about what do each of these people need? And in, in like a weird twisted way, right? The, when the demons are talking about how to torture different people, they think about like, what would be the most torturous for this person? It's not like one size torture fits all. It's, it's really thinking about what would be, what would be the most painful for, for this, for this person. But this idea that we're balancing all throughout our lives, this, these ideas of value of life and uniqueness, but also equality. And and they're playing this, I think, a little more widely too, because even Tahani's thing about about her fiance, you're important too. Fixing baby's spines is just as valuable as acting, <laughs> is I think a way of applying that same point. Yeah, that that whole storyline was hilarious. <laughs> and actually, but but I think probably for you know for Tahani kinds of reasons, I obviously this is screamingly obvious that even people who are rich and famous or whatever can can be tormented by these same kind of self-doubts and and being valued around by by the wrong things okay this is a real aside but i you know what i i went back to the source sheet where i had quoted this text from from sanhedrin and the gets greenberg text that went through it also but i also apparently have a quote from rabbi john spiros vet when you asked hillary clinton a question during the debate <laughs> on the same source sheet so you know it all comes full circle <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's cool. You know, I was. Oh, do you want to do anything more with this idea about the uh, the equal values? I'm really chewing on this, and yeah, I think you know that's one of the things that Eleanor and actually I'll just go with all of them. But Eleanor and Tahani, in particular, really have to learn that people are not below them. That everybody has right. That everybody has equality and and worth in the world. That both of them, in their different ways, really seem to think that there's a hierarchy of how good you know of of whether or not people are worth their time but in in different ways right eleanor selling her drugs or the guy at the at the grocery store talking about the environment and tahani <laughs> with her whole existence but in the end you know these are four people who are extremely unlikely to ever come together in a normal world and they figure out a way to see the value and equality and uniqueness in each one of them that they really never as you said contemplate leaving any of them behind mm. uh, there is right they eleanor contemplates leaving herself behind but there's really not serious consideration given to should we sacrifice one of us to save the rest and I, I think that it's interesting. I've been trying to process where the idea of kind of callbacks to Tahani parties fit in there. It, I don't know why it didn't hit me until this time that, you know, so much of season one up in the neighborhood was, and even the beginning of season two, where these things staged the Tahani neighborhood mansion there where Eleanor had to get up and give speeches. And so here she is doing it again, which is certainly, she's not set up for this kind of thing and she has to figure out a way to communicate and and be her on really on Tahani's turf and and I think in some ways maybe maybe that's I mean we'll see this I mean one of my favorite things at the very end of the series is the way in which Tahani and Eleanor kind of explain their friendship to each other which is cool you know as you're saying that I thought about the party where she says come as you are yes. and they all walk in in their regular clothes and everyone else is like in black tie gowns and I suspect that old Tahani, right, Tahani on Earth, would have been appalled to see people coming into her fancy schmancy party this way. And she just kind of takes it in stride. Right? She she believes that this is how they are. I think it would have been a little funnier if Jason came in his like full Jacksonville Jaguars get up that he was wearing before <laughs> to the party. But, you know, far be it for me to be a TV writer. But, you know, then also, instead of getting angry at Eleanor for kind of ruining her party. Tahani shows concern for Eleanor and and wants to help respond to Eleanor's temper tantrum, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And I think you do actually see a lot of growth of Tahani in this area of valuing the uniqueness of her of her friends and also seeing the way in which her friends are maybe so different from the life that she was living when she was alive. Hmm. I think it's, you know, we're, we're at a phase in the series where we're kind of cycling through ideas that were introduced earlier on and kind of touching back on them. One could say returning to them, doing chuva, rebooting. In fact, you know, Janet says you can't just keep, they talk even in this episode about rebooting and restarting as, a, you know, you can't just keep doing that, but they do kind of touch on these these kind of same themes as they help them grow. And I don't know why I said that. That was an interesting thing to say in and of itself. I am I am returning also. Again, I'm sort of thinking too about the the difference between a community and a group. And I think that, you know, you and I are so much in 
in areas of work where we talk a lot about community and we, you and I on the podcast have talked about kind of the world and the impact we have and our responsibilities to, to changing the world. And, and a lot of Judaism really talks about groups in, in, that, in those bigger senses and boiling it down to actual individuals is, is I think a really interesting dimension, certainly obviously the premise of this series, but also these, these episodes. And I was thinking about your, you know, your first text again with the fact that the Facebook Jaguars Australian fa fan club, you know, it ha it's me and two other dudes, you know, again, it's not just one, he'll barf one last time and then I'll be ready to learn philosophy. <laughs> that was great. That was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I realized in my notes, that one of the things that Simone says is that once you get to us versus them, the thing that you're struggling to do is to see others as equals, right? When Once we get past, uh, the way you get past us versus them is to see other people as equals. So I think back to the text, we were, I don't know, maybe you could, maybe you could edit this part in a No, second. no, I think it's good that we got <laughs> to it this way, yeah. But that this idea that one of our stages of development, actually, once we understand, once we understand ourselves to be part of a group, Right. What does it mean then for our group to see equality in your group? It's not just me versus you, but actually like us, this the brainy bunch versus versus other people. And, and how do you how, how do you function in a world in that world? And how do you get to a place where you can start to see people as being equal, as having worth, even if they are unique and different from you? And it, it actually makes me think that it's a great setup for how this season is about to unfold. I mean, Simone says to Eleanor that you're stuck on the me versus us part, which is very much on that micro scale of just who you are in these other groups of people sacrificing a little individual freedom for the benefit of a group. And she really says it as a group. And then um, in the next phase, when they sort of realize they're up against this brick wall of judgment of the judge, then they decide that what they're going to have to do is sort of think about them who are other people who are not part of this group and how they're going to help improve their lives. You know, it's Eleanor's mom and, and Donkey Doug and all that kind of stuff. And, and I guess in order to get there, they do have to at least reach a, a little bit of understanding of the, the me versus us problem. That is the reason I think I was trying before to circle my way to her. Thank you. You fixed it. You got it. <laughs> you brought it back together. You know, I am I am so taken, as I said, both in our wrap up of the last season episode and when we were talking toward the end of season two about this idea of the periodic sort of sitting back and taking stock. And it was not lost on me. They talk about this idea of a yearly reunion, which is so, you know, has become again my my mantra about the high holidays is like the uh, if only we could do the high holidays at a uh, mega yacht, a ski chalet <laughs> or the sinking city of Jacksonville. And it wouldn't just always be the same synagogue. But I like that they have this idea. This the, It's interesting that The Good Place arrived at this concept of one year. And I mean, I suppose why not? But it, but I, I, of course, would be curious if, again, they had some sense of... They talk so much about not being religiously inspired, but I wonder how much is... That's just a natural human cycle or what it is. Well, it's, it's interesting because if you go back to the episode where Eleanor tries to be really good... I believe she lasts less than a year. She lasts about six months. And if they only reunite once a year, will they have made any progress, right? Do they need to connect with each other more frequently than that in order to stay on the path of being good people, right? Maybe Eleanor only lasted six months because she didn't have Chidi's moral philosophy classes. And now that she did, she'll be able to last longer. I don't know. but. 
we need kind of a check-in. And I think in some ways, when we talk about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and how many people only come to services on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we want people to come more frequently, not just because it's nice to see people, but because it's hard to just do ba once a year. Uh, if you follow a strict prayer schedule, you're doing the repentance prayers every day, multiple times a day. You're you're thinking about it all the time, and and that it's it's hard to have sort of only a yearly check in when you're trying to change. You need you need regular goals. Like I mean, I don't know how many people listening are are Peloton people. I am <laughs> I'm firmly in the cult, but you know there are weekly. You could get like a weekly badge and a monthly badge and there's different challenges along the way, right? It's not just they check in and see how you're doing after a year. There's a mechanism built in to make sure that you're trying to exercise regularly. And if you're motivated by that kind of thing, which I am, then you are going to exercise more regularly than you were before. And and I think the same is true of, of Chuva, that you have to be doing it regularly or else how are you going to remember that the day after Yom Kippur, you caused harm to someone. And how are you going to remember to go back and, and try to repair it? Mm. I, I think what they're kind of laying out in this episode is, maybe not in this episode specifically, but partly in this episode, is the idea that there's a concentrated period of time that is less than a year. And and you and I know that it's not about going to services or ritual, but about you know what they call studying moral philosophy, and we might call studying Torah. And you you have this group, and they're they help you. And then when you're separate from that group, if you're if you're if you feel like you're always going to be separated, you're never going to see Jason again. That could be tough. But if you do know that at you know six months later, which is when that the year anniversary will come by, you'll see him. That might kind of sustain you. I could see that. It's not the same. I mean, you and I see each other annually because we're part of a group that anticipates meeting each other every year. And we are we are in touch, not just, you know, when we're doing this during the course of the year, but, you know, we had some intense experiences, uh, you know, training together. And then we we recall that. And and I was curious, I really had noticed the first time around watching the show, this concept of the how the year keeps returning you know, they're usually associated with their birth, you know, their 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 death days. <laughs> In Judaism, we talk about the birth of the universe. And interestingly, this kind of comes as the anniversary of their, their near-death experiences. Yeah. And is that the thing you want to sort of center your life around, which is an interesting question? Right. And certainly you don't. I don't think that they're suggesting, I mean, it just certainly doesn't feel in this episode like just going to Jacksonville once every year, or I guess every four years is going to be the, is going to be sustaining enough, but it might bring you back. If it were me, I'd just be like, Tani, you host our yearly reunion. I know. At whichever of your Airbnbs are happen to be available. I, I'm willing to give up hosting in Arizona or Jacksonville just to go to Tahani's, whatever amazing place Tahani and Larry Hemsworth live together. All right. It is great to talk to you, Rebecca. Great to talk to you, too. We're going to do this again soon. I look forward to it. And another episode of Tove is in the books. Thank you for listening and making time for us. And if you want to add anything to the conversation, you can chat with us and other listeners on social media at Tove Good Place or email us at tove at tovegoodplace.com. We've got show notes on our website, tovegoodplace.com, and it's where you can also find some more general Jewish resources and definitions and links related to the kinds of things we talk about on the podcast overall. 
You can find Rebecca Rosenthal on Instagram, at Rabbi Rebecca Bakes. You can find me, John Spirisavet, at RabbiJS3 on Twitter and Instagram, and also at RabbiJohn.net. You don't have to be in New Hampshire or New York City to tap into what's available online at tbanashua.org or centralsynagogue.org, where Rebecca and I do our day jobs. Don't forget to subscribe to Tove if you haven't already, and rate us on your app or recommend us to other people. Thanks again for listening. Now, go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.